I'm Shirley, and I'll be reading for us this morning from (coughs) Luke chapter 6, verses 27 to 49. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. 
But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Thanks, David. Good morning. My name is Jeff. It's my privilege to be here with you again. Lovely to see you again. Uh, if I can just quickly tell you a little bit about, about what's happening. Um, we've been uh, uh, managing this congregation as a, as a session for these last few months. And can I say your elders are working hard to try to oversee all of the ministries and continue things, uh, keep things going. Uh, the selection committee has also been working hard. We're now in the process of, uh, we're about to begin speaking to a particular minister and so things are looking very positive there as well. So I think you can be encouraged by what's happening, but do please continue to pray. Continue to pray as Ian just has, that uh, God will raise up a minister for us. Well, let's have a look now at, uh, at this passage from the Bible. Let's, uh, let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, do please help us now as we look at your word to understand what it says and to think hard about how to put it into practice in our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently started to, to read a crime novel. Uh, it's by a, a fairly new Australian author, a guy by the name of Christian White. Uh, I read a, a novel of his a few months ago, quite liked it. And so I was looking forward to reading this one. But in this novel that I was reading, Christian White reveals what he thinks of Christianity. And contrary to his name, being Christian, he is not exactly complimentary about Christianity. Uh, White, um, he thinks Christianity is dumb. Um, he thinks that uh, even a child who gives even the slightest thought to Christianity will see that it's ridiculous. Let me quote from his novel. Uh, he's talking about a young teenager called Kieran here in this novel. He says this, he says, Sean had taught Kieran a lot. Now, taught wasn't quite right. Sean had opened Kieran's eyes. For example, the Bible was pretty dumb when you stop to think about it. It wasn't just Noah's Ark. It was the whole Jesus story too. Uh, Jesus was God, which meant, as Sean pointed out, that God sent himself down to earth to sacrifice himself to himself to reset a system that he made himself. It made zero sense. A little bit later, he talks about another character. This is a, a teacher in a Christian school, and he says this. He says, Tom had a complicated relationship with his religion. He worked as a Christian high school. He worked at a Christian high school and was raised on Jesus and Satan, but he was well aware of the moral hypocrisy of the Bible not to mention the twisted and, at times, nonsensical logic. How does that make you feel? How does it make you feel when, uh, when you hear stuff like that? When you hear people talk about how dumb Christianity is or how hypocritical it is or how, how twisted and nonsensical it is? Uh, for me, I read this kind of stuff or hear this sort of stuff and it... it I have to say, I, I have mixed feelings. I, on the one hand, it, it makes me feel annoyed. And I feel a bit kind of um, self-righteous about it, a bit, a bit judgmental. I mean, this bloke 
He's obviously got a little bit of knowledge about Christianity. He's skimmed a Richard Dawkins book or something. And now he, he knows enough to caricature Christianity, but he's got no sensitivity to what Christianity is really on about. I mean, I've spent more than 30 years full-time thinking about the Bible. He reckons it, it takes a child one moment to stop and think about it, and you'll see that it's all dumb and ridiculous. Uh, I reckon this bloke should stop mouthing off about things that he clearly doesn't understand. I think he should keep his mouth shut. It makes me grumpy. Uh, on the other hand, on the other hand, well, I read this sort of stuff, and it, 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 it worries me a bit. I this is a smart bloke. He's a, he's a good author. Why do so many smart, literate, well-educated people, people like Christian White, why do they just write Christianity off as stupid? It makes me doubt. I mean, I'm not that smart. And, and when, when you put it like he has, I mean, Christianity does sound a bit weird, doesn't it? God sacrificing himself to himself to, to fix a system that he himself created. Of course, it's a caricature, but, but well, maybe I'm the one who's missing something. Maybe I'm missing the obvious. On the one hand, it makes me feel grumpy, annoyed that he would uh, caricaturize this thing, uh, Christianity. On the other hand, it makes me go, oh... I'm not so sure. Why do all these smart people disagree? How do you feel? How does it make you feel when you face opposition for being a Christian? When people disagree with you? When they make you feel stupid? Do you respond to anything like me? Does it make you feel self-righteous and angry? Does it make you doubt? I suspect we're going to face more and more opposition in Australia. And so it's an important topic for us to think about. How will we respond when people oppose us for following Jesus? Now, a few weeks ago, I understand you saw a video of me giving the uh, talk on the previous passage. So Dave Coy was sick one week, and I'm pretty sure you saw, you saw the video. Is that right in the morning? Um, do you remember the one about heaven is more valuable than earth, so we should be humble and open and generous? Yeah, no, nobody remembered it, Chatswood, either. Oh, you do? Okay, great. Excellent. Excellent. So that was, that was the first section of Jesus' uh, sermon on the plane, so-called. He's talking about what it means to be a disciple and he said it means valuing heaven above earth all these disciples they were expecting fantastic we're on a great thing with Jesus he's going to conquer the Romans and we'll be rich and, and famous Jesus goes no 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 here on earth you'll be poor here on earth you'll be hated here on earth you'll be hungry you've got to seek your riches and your satisfaction and your popularity in heaven rather than earth he says very clearly to the disciples, they will be persecuted. They'll miss out on earthly wealth, miss out on earthly popularity. People will hate them and oppose them. If you jump back with me to verse 22, I'm not sure if this will come up. Right on top of it, Ed. This is uh, uh, verse 22, you'll see it clearly. Uh, Jesus said, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. So that's the expectation that Jesus sets. You want to trust him, you want to follow him, expect to be hated, expect to be persecuted. And now, now in this next section of the sermon, he talks about how to handle it. 
how to handle it when people are mean to you for being a Christian, how to handle it when people persecute you. And Jesus' message is pretty simple. He says to his disciples, I want you to love those who oppose you. I want you to patiently endure persecution and bless and pray for the people who do it. Treat them the way that you would like them to treat you. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. Let's have a look together. Luke chapter 6 and verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. That's a big ask, don't you reckon? That, that is a pretty high standard. It's hard enough to love people who love you, let alone people who oppose you. But Jesus says that's the love Christians should have. A, a bigger than ordinary love. A, love. a love like God has shown to us. A love that can really only work if your focus is on heaven and not on earth. Verse 32 if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. What kind of reward is Jesus thinking of there, do you reckon? I don't think it's reward on earth, is it? It's heavenly reward he's talking about. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. What does he mean by that? Children of the Most High means you'll, you'll be like God. Uh, the idea is that children look like... Some of you would have met my son when he came and preached here the other day. Um, it's pretty obvious he's my son, isn't it? He looks, looks like me. <laughs> God says, you'll be children of the Most High, you'll be like God, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Jesus goes on to talk more about how to deal with people who oppose you, how to deal with persecutors. And he says, he says don't judge, don't condemn, forgive, keep on giving, keep on serving. And why? Well, because that's how we want God to treat us. We want him to forgive us. We want him to... To, to, to keep giving to us now and especially in heaven. Verse 37. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. 
Give and it will be given to you. A a, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. All right, that's the first big point of what Jesus is saying to his disciples. It's a fairly clear point, isn't it? How do you respond to people who persecute? How do you respond to people who hate you for following Jesus? Jesus says, love them. Love them. Love your enemies. But it is a big ask. And so now in the next section, what Jesus does is he talks about, he talks about how it is that anybody could do that. How will disciples be able to keep on loving and forgiving those who oppose them? That's what Jesus addresses. And the first thing he says is, you're not going to be able to do it if you're blind. You're not going to be able to teach others if if you don't understand the thing that Jesus is about to reveal for yourself. Verse 39, he also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. And now Jesus gives the the key thing that disciples need to know. Here's what a disciple needs to know if they're not going to be blind. Here's what a disciple needs to know if they're going to be able to, uh, to, to, to teach. Here's what a disciple needs to know if they're going to be able to love those who oppose them. Here's what a disciple needs to know. Disciples need to, re- to, need to realize that they themselves are sinners. No better than anybody else. No better than anyone out there. Before disciples start correcting other people, they need to see, b- b- before they start seeing little specks in other people's eyes, they need to see that there is a plank in their own eye. A plank before God that needs to be removed before they can help anyone. Verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And here he's thinking about a Jewish brother who might be persecuting you as a Christian. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. A couple of years ago, my wife's uh, father tragically died and uh, we had to, um, they'd been living in the same house for sort of 50 years and, uh, and we, we had to take Caroline's mum and, and, and bring her to live with us and we had to sort the house out and it was an absolute mess. It needed total renovation from start to finish and as, as part of this renovation, we, we removed an, an interior wall and so we had to run a beam from one wall across to the other to, to hold the roof up from what the in, inter, internal wall would have done before. Uh, a couple of mates of mine were doing the renovation for us, a couple of Peruvian guys, and, and one of them went, went to buy the beam. And so you're supposed to get a beam, you know, kind of 30 centimetres by 10 centimetres to, just to, to hold up this, uh, this roof. But uh, he, he went to Bunnings and uh, there was a beam there, but then there was... A beam twice as big for only $40 more. So he brought back this massive beam. It was 60 centimetres by 20 centimetres big. (laughs) And uh, it took four of us just to lift the thing up and put it on the roof. And he's got this beautiful Peruvian accent. He calls me Yef. He goes, Yef, Yef. 
I go to Bunnings, I find the beam is twice as big, only $40 more. He says, now you can put 10 stories on top. <laughs> anyway, that's what I think of when I think of a plank. Right? I think of this massive big thing that's there in your eye. That's what Jesus says we have in our own eye. Before God, we have an enormous plank of sin. Before, before we're ready to even start thinking about the, the world out there with all its terrible problems and so no, 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 no. Before God, we have a plank of sin that needs to be removed. And Jesus goes on to talk more about the, the, the depth of our sin. Uh, disciples are not good people who occasionally do bad things. Disciples and everyone else, we do and say bad things because it reflects what's in our hearts. I don't know about you, I think of myself as this calm, kind, always cool and collected person. It's just that my wife drives me crazy and my children make me grumpy and my congregation make me angry all the time. No, no, no. Of course, that's not what's going on at all, is it? What's going on at all, what's really going on is that inside me is all this wickedness and evil that the moment you start shaking comes pouring out. Well, that's what Jesus says. He says that the, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. My mouth gives it away. What's really going on? Can you see then the second part of Jesus second part of Jesus' sermon. The, the, the key for a disciple to be able to look out on a world that persecutes them with love and with sympathy and with compassion is for the disciple to understand the depth of evil in their own heart. They need to grasp the size of the plank in their own eye. They need to know that, that they are a sinner, not a good person who does bad things, but a bad person whose bad things are revealed by the way they speak. If a disciple can't see that, if a disciple thinks that they're a you know, good moral Presbyterian or something like that, they're never going to be anything but blind. They're never going to be much use to anyone. They're never going to be able to love a world that opposes them. Instead, it'll be all about self-defense and anger and grumpiness. So that's the second section of, of the part of Jesus' sermon that we're looking at today. How should Jesus, so first section was, how should Jesus, Jesus' disciples respond to those who persecute them? Answer, point one, love them, love them. And now point two, how do you do that? Well, you start off by humbly recognizing that you're no better. Humbly recognizing that you yourself are a sinner who needs God to love you. And Jesus finishes his sermon with, um, it's a challenge, but it's also, a, I think, a real comfort, an encouragement, a, a confidence builder. Jesus assures his disciples, if you listen to my teaching, if you put it into practice, if you build your life on me, Jesus says, that is a solid foundation. 
That is a foundation that will last through this life. That is a a foundation that will last through even the storm of God's final judgment. Jesus says, if you listen to me and put it into practice, you can be confident. Verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I'll show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice, it's like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. Where can our confidence lie? It lies in Jesus himself, in his teaching, listening to him, putting into practice what he says. That is a firm foundation for this life and the next. All right. You see what's here then in this section section of Jesus' sermon. So first section was, it's about how it's all about heaven, not earth. Okay, here on earth, expect suffering. Well, now the second section, how do you respond to that? How do you deal with a world that opposes you? Answer point number one, love. Love your enemies. Point number two, how do you do that? Recognize that you are no better. You are in need of God's forgiveness and compassion. And then third, find confidence. If you hear Jesus' words, put them into practice, your life and eternity is built on a firm foundation. If I can summarise it all in just three words, how should disciples deal with a world that persecutes them? Love, humility, confidence. Love, humility and confidence. Now, of course, we live on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We are saved by what he did, not by what we do. We're not going to be saved by loving our enemies. We're not going to be saved by our humility. We're not going to be saved uh, by our confidence. Jesus saves us. We don't save ourselves. We've got to to, uh, look at, whenever we read the gospel, we've got to read it as Christians on the other side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. But, But the fact is... What Jesus says here in his sermon, that Christians will face persecution, it's still true. It's still true. We don't face the same persecution of walking with Jesus to Jerusalem to be killed on a cross, but the Apostle Paul makes it clear. He wrote, everyone, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Christians, we're told throughout the New Testament, will be persecuted. And as we face it, All the stuff that Jesus says to his disciples here, it still applies. We still should love the world that opposes us. We still should pray for those who who are against us. And the key to doing it hasn't changed either. It's still about humbly recognising our own sin. It's still about realising that we need from God love, compassion, mercy. And so we should be able to show it to the world. We're not better than those who oppose us. They and we need Jesus. And yet still we can be confident. We should know in Jesus we have a firm foundation, a foundation that will take us through judgment and into eternal life. How should we deal with a world that opposes us? How should we deal with those who persecute? The same as Jesus says here, love, humility, confidence.
Uh, just before we think about those things a little bit more though, I suspect you like me on this. I have very few people who oppose or persecute me. I spoke at a wedding the other day and uh, I really tried to preach the gospel faithfully. I really tried to go hard. I said, you, you know, you're sinners and, and, and you have to put your trust in Jesus. And at the end of the wedding, all these people came up to me and went, that was so lovely. And I thought, woe to you when people speak well of you. That is how they spoke to the false prophets, spoke about the false prophets. Are you the same as me? Do you, do you find most people are really nice to you? Why is that? Why are we not being persecuted? I guess it's partly because we live in Australia. Partly because we mostly hang around with other Christians. But is that all? Or is it maybe that we are too meek, too silent? Perhaps we haven't really learnt the lesson from the first part of Jesus' sermon. Perhaps we're so desperate to keep the stuff of this world that we like, our popularity, our money, that we will not stand up for Jesus. I suspect it's true of me. I'm not, to use what we talked about in the sermon you saw on video, I'm, I'm not enough of a hog. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not open enough. Because I want comfort and popularity in this life. Friends, if you're the same as me, it's not good, is it? It's short-sighted, it's blind. We need to change our thinking. We need to be more bold. That was the first part of Jesus' sermon, though. Having said that, let's think about applying the second part of his sermon to ourselves. Assuming people do notice that we're Christians, assuming they do oppose us, how are we going to respond? How are we going to love with humility and confidence? I think the answer is all about focusing on Jesus. I think about reading that Christian white novel before. What made me so angry? What made me so angry in my response to that novel? It's partly about my own pride. He says, uh, you know, a mere child with a couple of minutes thinking about it will see that Christianity is ridiculous. And I think, well, no, hang on. I'm not stupid. I've been thinking about it for so... The moment I start thinking about me is the moment I get all defensive. The moment I get all angry. Or on the other hand, as I think about me and I think, well, I'm probably not as smart as Christian White. Maybe, I, maybe I've got good reason to doubt. But the moment I start thinking about me is the moment I get angry or the moment I start to doubt. But if I think about Jesus himself, if I think about the gospel, well, that's what gives me confidence. And that's what reminds me that I am no better than Christian White or anybody else. That's what reminds me that I'm a sinner who desperately needs God's love towards me. And so it says I focus on Jesus himself, that it helps me to be humble and to be confident and then to respond with not self-defense, not self-justification, but with love for a fellow sinner who, like me, needs to be forgiven by Jesus. This is one of my favourite paintings. It was painted in 1995 by an Aussie artist, actually an Aussie artist by the name of George Gittos. It's called The Preacher. And uh, so Gittos, the, um, the, the, the painter, 
He was with the Australian Army Medical Force in Rwanda in a place called Kibeho uh, on April the 22nd, 1995. Now, on that day, April the 22nd, 1995, soldiers armed with guns and machetes came into the village and massacred 4,000 people. Uh, this is a picture of an evangelist. Uh, it's just moments before he himself was dragged into a building and chopped up, chopped to death, killed. And what's he doing? Uh, what's he doing while the people around him rampage with guns and machetes and knives? He wasn't denouncing his enemies. No, no, he was telling them about the love and forgiveness that can be found in Jesus. He was teaching from the Bible about how people can be forgiven for what they are doing and have eternal life, right up to the very moment that they slaughtered him. How could he do that? How could he bravely love his enemies even to death? The answer's in his hand there, isn't it? It's because of his humble confidence in God's word. He didn't hate his enemies. No doubt he was too conscious of his own sin to do that. And he wasn't scared into silence. No, no, because he knew that he'd built his life on the rock. And so with humble confidence, he loved his enemies to the very end. I want to be like that. Don't you? I want to be like that. So I've got this picture up on my screensaver. Because... That's what I want to be. Not just when I read crime novels. This is how I want to deal with a world that opposes me. I don't want to be self-righteous. I don't want to be all scared and doubtful. I want to do what Jesus says here in his sermon. I want to do what this bloke did. Love my enemies with humble confidence to the very end. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he loved his enemies even to death on that cross saying, Father, forgive them. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that through Jesus we see that we are sinners who need your love and compassion, but that in Jesus we have a firm foundation. Convince us of these things, Heavenly Father, and so help us to humbly and confidently love our enemies even to the very end. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.